Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. So this week I learned something new about myself, and that is I don't know how to drive anymore without a backup camera. Anybody else? Like my truck has a backup camera. I've got sensors all around on the bumpers and stuff, and I guess I've just grown accustomed to those things. And I, I learned this week that I just can't drive without them anymore. On Wednesday it rained like 20-something inches or something crazy, you know, and... I got in my truck, I threw it in reverse. That little backup camera was covered in rain and mud and whatever else, and the screen was just complete fog. Might as well not even have a backup camera at this point. It was just completely uh, useless. And so um, I just didn't know what to do, so I just started backing up anyway, you know? And I just, I just hoped, I just, uh, hopefully the sensors aren't covered in mud, and hopefully, hopefully you know, I just kind of took my time and, and started backing up, just going going blind uh, with it. Um, I did, you know, turn around, do the thing where you like turn around and, and kind of look, felt like a caveman. It's just been forever since I've had to turn around and look, you know, at the back. I'm sure people are laughing, like, what is this dude doing? Um, but anyway, it's just driving blind, you know, just driving blind. It's tough when you can't see. It is. It's tough when you can't see. And that's really what we're talking about this morning. Um, we're going to look at a very famous story of Jesus healing a man's physical blindness, right? Um, You've probably heard this story before. It's a famous story. He healed this man's physical blindness, but the point of the story isn't him healing his physical blindness. It's a a story that's pointing us to spiritual blindness, all right? And and so in John chapter 9, that's what we see. I want to summarize kind of the the thing that happens with the guy, and then we're going to look at it from a different Angle, But in the first few verses of chapter 9, like you, you see there that this man, it says um, Jesus was passing by and he sees this man who was blind from birth. So he was born this way, all right? It's not like something happened, he wasn't in an accident or something like that. He was born blind. And, and the disciples, they asked this question. It was a common question that people had whenever that somebody was um, injured or, or crippled or blind or something like that. They, they, they assumed that they were that way because they deserved it in some way. Like they had done something. They sinned in some kind of way or maybe their parents sinned in some kind of way and they brought that blindness on him. And Jesus clearly says, no, he was just born that way. He was just born blind. He didn't do anything to, to deserve it. In fact, Jesus says, but I'm gonna use it to display the glory of God. He says that in verse three. And so, you know, as we are just kind of a sub point, sub ideas, we're walking through life and, and, and experiencing hard things in life. You may be tempted to think, I must have done something to bring this on myself. But maybe it's just that God wants to use it to display his glory, you know. And that's what we see here with this guy. He's, he's blind and, and Jesus is going to use it to display uh, something about himself. And so Jesus, it says in, in verse, what is it, verse six? After Jesus kind of explained that, he says he spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva, and spread it on the dude's eyes. Now that's gross, right? That's gross. 
I don't like spit. I'm a germaphobe. Like, um, in fact, I, I've said kind of one of the redeeming qualities of the whole COVID thing was it made everybody start using hand sanitizer and washing their hands, right? I just feel like that's a good thing to do. And so Jesus is spitting on this guy, and that's weird, and that's, that's disgusting, right? He's got a point. He's got a reason for doing that. But he's, he makes this mud with his spit, spreads it on the guy's eyes, and then tells him, go to the pool of Siloam, which means sent, John tells us, and wash it off, and you'll be made whole. And that's exactly what happens. The guy goes to the pool, he washes it off, and his eyes are healed. Jesus could have very easily just said, your eyes are now healed, right? He did that to the crippled guy in, in chapter five. But for whatever reason, Jesus does this whole mud thing, and, um, and the guy is able to see. It's an amazing moment. Like this guy, born blind, never seen ever, now he sees for the first time, and he can see colors, he can see flowers, he can see his loved one's faces, like he sees all of these different things, and we would go, that's amazing. Like, I don't understand how the mud and the spit thing did it, I don't understand how the pool thing did it, but I know that it's amazing, praise God. We would probably say that, right? Not everyone agrees. And that's what we're gonna look at. We're gonna look at the response of the religious people of the day. That's where I want us to focus our time this morning. So, look at um, John chapter 9, verse 13. We're going to read a pretty good chunk of scripture together, so, so follow along. Verse 13. They brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. The day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath. Now, if you've been with us in this John series, you're like, oh man, Jesus is doing it again. He's doing healing stuff on the Sabbath. They're not going to like that. Verse 15. Then the Pharisees asked him again how he received his sight. They're, they're um, putting this blind man, this formerly blind man on trial, all right? And he says, he put mud on my eyes, I washed, and I can see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a sinful man perform such signs? And there was division among them. Verse 17, again, they asked the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He's a prophet he said. And the Jews did not believe this about him, that he was blind and received his sight. So they, they didn't believe that he was actually blind from birth and received his sight. And then they summoned the parents of the one who had received his sight. So they put him on trial. They're bringing in the parents now. And they asked them, is this your son, the one who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? We know this is our son and that he was born blind, his parents answered, but we don't know how he now sees and we don't know who opened his eyes, ask him. He's of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things, John tells us, because they were afraid of the Jews, since the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him as the Messiah, he would be banned from the synagogue. This is why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So a second time, they summoned the man who had been born blind, who had been blind and, and told him, give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, this is a huge verse. If you underline, circle, whatever in your Bible, I would do that to verse 25. He answered, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I can see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I already told you, he said, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? And they ridiculed him. You're the man's disciple, but we're Moses' disciple. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he's from. 
This is an amazing thing, the man told him. You don't know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. And they said this, you were born entirely in sin, they replied, and you were trying to teach us, and then they threw him out. So, I know that's a, a big chunk of scripture to read, but what we see to this amazing thing that Jesus did is the response of the religious leaders proves that they are blind, and it proves that they are blind spiritually. That's the point that Jesus is trying to make, is he's showing them their spiritual blindness. And I think we all need to examine uh, their response and see if there's any spiritual blindness in us or any spiritual blind spots. See if we're just driving blind in this world. I believe that we all have blind spots, right? Every single one of us. I believe that we have some spiritual blind spots. And if you're sitting there going, yeah, but probably not me, well, you may wanna take some extra notes and kinda take an extra look at yourself this morning because I believe all of us have these blind spots. And the psalmist even says, he says, Psalm 139, this should be our uh, view, this should be our thought process when he says, search me, God, and know my heart. Like, test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. We should come to this scripture with that kind of mindset. God, search me, know my heart. See if there's anything in me that's offensive to you. See if there's any blind spots that I'm just missing, right? So I wanna give us, through their response, I wanna give us an eye test for spiritual blindness. An eye test for spiritual blindness. The first thing that we see here that tests we see in them a focus on rules. A focus on rules. Verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. That was their big concern. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. That's the exact response they had in chapter five when Jesus healed the man who was crippled. And Jesus told him like, you're now well, pick up your mat and walk. You remember that? And they were mad because this man, not, they, they couldn't celebrate the fact that he's now walking because Jesus did it on the Sabbath. They're far more concerned with their rules than the fact that this guy is seeing for the first time in his life. They're more caught up in their, their rules. This is what we might call legalism. All right, this is a picture of legalism. Legalism is this. It's thinking that the things that you do or don't do earn you favor with God. It's all about how you act. The things that you do, the things that you don't do, that somehow makes you right with God. Better said, it might be said, that, that legalism is, is thinking I'm a better God than God is, right? And license is on the other side of, of the road. Like if you're driving down the, the road of Christian walk, on one side there's a guardrail that keeps us from falling off into legalism. On the other side is a guardrail that keeps us falling off into license. Just saying, there's freedom in Christ, I'm gonna do whatever I wanna do, right? That side over there also says, I'm a better God than God is, but we're talking about legalism today because I think it's probably what we struggle with more than license, right? Legalism is a major, major concern um, it's dangerous. It does a few things. Legalism creates unbiblical standards. Legalism creates unbiblical standards. See, Jesus created the Sabbath. He's a big fan, right? He established 
the Sabbath, this day that they were supposed to rest and not, not work and focus in on who God is. But the Pharisees, they added a bunch of extra stuff to the Sabbath. That's where the problem comes in, right? So it's not that Jesus was a renegade. He's not against the Sabbath. He's against all the man-made rules. He's against all the extra stuff that they added to it because they said, if the law is good, well, then extra law must be better, you know? And so they just start adding all this extra stuff. In chapter five, um, one of the, the man-made rules on the Sabbath was you can't carry a mat, a mat. And so whenever Jesus tells him, get up, carry your mat, and walk, well, he broke one of their man-made rules. Here in chapter nine, one of the man-made rules of the Pharisees was you can't knead dough or mud or clay on the Sabbath. And so Jesus makes this little spit concoction of mud just so he can break their man-made rule, right? And show them this is, that's ridiculous uh, that, that that is one of your rules. They had said, if the law is good, then extra law must be better. And we do this all the time, right? Whether you realize it or not, we do this all the time. So we'll say things like, and we wouldn't say this, but we think it, if conservative views are good, well then hyper-conservative views must be better, right? If, if drunkenness is wrong, well, then total abstinence must be better, right? If, if culture is bad, then, then the radio never leaves K-Love even in the fundraising months, right? And, and, if, and if, if that's you, man, God bless you. <laughs> like that is a, that's a next level commitment right there. And so those things that I mentioned, like they're not bad, like those aren't bad things, they may even be wise for you, right? Completely abstaining from any kind of alcohol or anything, like, that may be the most wise thing for you, right? Um, the problem is, is whenever we start making that a, a rule that, that dictates our life and we think that that thing actually makes us more godly. You see it? Like that's where it becomes a thing. Like it may be wise for us and, and the things that we do, they may even be good things. So church attendance and modesty and, and all of these different things are probably good decisions and ways to live, but if they are done to earn or keep favor with God, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. Scripture's clear. We are made complete in Christ, nothing else. Nothing else. And so uh, legalism, legalism creates unbiblical standards that then begins to promote performance. And we just start just trying to perform. And legalism says, I do or I don't do. While the gospel says, I can't do, but Jesus did, right? See, legalism is thinking that God accepts us because we do this thing or we don't do that thing. When in reality, God accepts sinners because Jesus lived an obedient life that we could never live and he died a death that we should have died. He took the death penalty we deserved. But legalism promotes performance. Just, I'm gonna be better and do better, and in the end, I'm gonna get God, right? That's dangerous, because ultimately, legalism demotes Jesus. Legalism demotes Jesus. That's what the Pharisees were doing. They were completely downplaying Jesus. Verse 28 says, they ridiculed the man. You're that man's disciple, but we're Moses' disciple. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he's from. So understand, if you think you can earn God's favor in any way outside of the work of Christ, you are essentially saying that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus are either not necessary or not sufficient. That's what Paul says in Galatians 2.21. If righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. 
So if your Christianity, man, is just more of a checklist than it is a relationship, it may be creating a false sense of assurance in your life that really shouldn't be there, right? Tons of people are just checking the boxes of moralism and they don't know Jesus at all. How do I know this? Jesus says it. Jesus says it. In Matthew chapter seven, he says one day, we're all gonna stand before him and there's gonna be a, a lot of people who stand before him and say, Lord, did I not do this in your name? Did I not do that in your name? He's gonna say, yeah, but we, we never knew each other. You know? And I say that not to scare you, but I say that to hopefully bring some sight to your blindness. That focusing on rules over relationship is, is so dangerous because you'll begin to think that you're right with God when really you're just blinded by legalism. And so that's the first eye test that we see in the Pharisees, that they had a focus on rules. Number two, they were unable to see people. They had a spiritual blind spot. They were unable to see people. Verse 18 says, the Jews did not believe this about him, that he was, that he was blind and received sight. Do you see it? Like, they didn't care what he said. They would rather believe that this man had been faking his blindness his entire life than to actually believe his word, you know, than to actually believe that he was now able to see. So they don't believe his word, and then they bring in his parents and make them testify against him. And in, in verses 19 through 23, his own parents disregard him. They say, ask him. He's of age. He'll tell you. Don't throw us out of the synagogue. Like they were afraid of, of, of the ramifications of what it would look like to stand up for their son. What kind of parent does that? You know, like if you have kids, even adult kids, I would assume like you're gonna stand up for them and say, that's my son and I love him. And, and I guess if you throw me out of the synagogue, which it did have ramifications, it was, it was their recreational hub, it was their relational hub, it was their spiritual hub of the city. So being thrown out was a big deal. But man, this is your son. This is your son. Verse 28 goes on and says that the Pharisees says they ridiculed him. They just completely dismissed him, made fun of him. And verse 34 says they throw him out of the synagogue like he's trash, like he's, like he's worthless. And kind of a subplot to this whole story highlights the fact that everyone else seems to neglect this man while Jesus embraces him. Like he is, he's thrown out of the synagogue and we're gonna see here in just a bit, Jesus comes and embraces him after he's been thrown out. And so it is a point to say like, following Jesus may cost you some things, but he's worth it and he's there for you. He'll never leave you. And even in this story, man, his own parents, they, they just kind of discarded him after this. And, and the point John is making here, the writer, is he's showing us major spiritual blind spot of not valuing human life. There's no value for human life. Their spiritual blindness has created a system that thrives on personal performance, personal supremacy, and sadly, the trampling of others. Their blind spots created a world where people were seen as obstacles to remove instead of people loved and created by God. We need to understand, man, that every single person on earth has intrinsic worth, value, and dignity 
simply because God created them and loves them. It's the doctrine of the Imago Dei, that we are all created in the image of God. Genesis 1.26 says, every human, every single human, born in the image of God. So that's you. You have intrinsic worth, value, and dignity because God loves you, he created you, he made you in his image. That's me, that is the unborn, that is the immigrant, that is the, the, the criminal on death row. That is every human being made in the image of God is worth value, dignity, and respect and love, right? Doesn't matter if they look like you, think like you, talk like you, vote like you, they are a person worthy of love. Why? Because Jesus loves them. And so if you find yourself looking down on others, feeling superior to others, picking on others, making fun of them, ignoring them, devaluing them, whether you think they deserve it or not, you may have just found your spiritual blind spot because Jesus doesn't do those things. Jesus doesn't do those things. And so they, they couldn't see people. And then finally, number three, they had a high view of themselves. They had a high view of self. See, they couldn't see past themselves. Only, only their views and their concerns were valid. And that's a dangerous way to live, right? Verse 24, they say this, give glory to God. And they're not being as spiritual as you think they are. What they're saying there is this, admit the truth. Admit the truth. They're, they're trying to get this man to change his story. Like literally born blind now can see you change your story to agree with the way I see it, right? I'm the one that's right here. There's no way that you're right because I'm right. Do you see the arrogance? Do you see their arrogance here? In verse 34, they say, are you trying to teach us? Like, are you actually trying to teach us? And that's what spiritual blindness does to us. But it's not like physical blindness because physical blindness, like you know that you're blind. Spiritual blindness is, is more dangerous because spiritually blind people are often blind to their own blindness, right? They think they see everything well and everyone else just needs to get on their page. If people could just see it the way I see it, then they'd all be right, <laughs> you know? Man, that's so dangerous. They walk around like everyone else is below them and they have it all figured out. Jesus himself has done something amazing to open their eyes, right? from their own blindness. But the blind spot of arrogance keeps them from seeing it. See, the thing about it is, is those with spiritual eyes, spiritual eyesight are humble. That's what scripture teaches. That those who are spiritually, uh, have spiritual sight, understand, man, I haven't arrived yet. I still struggle every single day. I'm gonna stumble my way through the gates of heaven. <laughs> You know, I, I don't have this whole thing figured out. I desperately need him to teach me and grow me. It's understanding I'm gonna struggle. I'm gonna try my best not to walk in it as 1 John 1 says, but, but I am gonna struggle in this life. And understanding that struggle keeps us humble. You know, it keeps us from thinking, man, I've got it all figured out. That again, we're gonna stumble all the way through the gates of heaven. The Christian walk looks a whole lot like two steps forward, one step back, doesn't it? 
but at least that's movement. That's forward movement. And you wake up every day saying, there's new mercies every morning. Praise God, I'm gonna wake up. I'm gonna try my best to walk forward again. That's what what this whole thing looks like. That's the mark of a true believer. There's no room for arrogance with Jesus. There's no room for arrogance with Jesus. If you think you have it all figured out, there's no more room for growth, no more room for correction in my life, nothing new that I could probably learn. God's probably really proud I'm on his team. You probably have some blind spots. You probably have some blind spots that need some attention. So this whole story, looking at how the religious people responded to this amazing healing of this guy's eyes, the whole thing is intended to reveal spiritual blindness. It's to reveal blind spots in us. It's a narrow focus on the rules. It's, a, it's the fact that you can't see people made in the image of God. It's, it, it's, it's a high view of self. And so as we close, like ask yourself, are there blind spots in my life? Are there blind spots? Are you more focused on the things you do for God than what he's done for you? Has this made you stubborn and hard to the things of God? Ask, do you ever find yourself seeing certain people as less than you? Do you use people for your own gain? Are people just obstacles to your plans or do you see them as people Jesus loves and wants to reach? Ask yourself, finally, are are you a big fan of yourself? (laughs) Are you arrogant? Do you think you've got this whole thing figured out that you've arrived? That correction and guidance are good, but it's probably for the guy next to me, not me. Right? Other people need those things. And if you're anything like me, like you're sitting there going, man, I kind of check all three of those boxes sometimes. You know? I see some I see some blind spots in all three of those areas, all three of those eye tests. I want to encourage you as as we wrap up our time together, ask Jesus to heal your blindness. Because he will. Like it, we see it in the story. He will heal. I love, I love how this um, formerly blind man answers all of the questions, right? Like he answers all of their questions and, and, and my favorite line comes where he says, I don't know the answers to your questions. I just know that I was blind and now I can see. <laughs> I, I, can, I don't know, all you, like you're asking me some deep stuff. I don't know. I was blind, now I can see. I read a story this week about a guy named John Newton. And John Newton, um, he was an atheist and he was a slave uh, ship captain in the 1700s. Captained several different slave ships during this time, which speaking of devaluing people, right? There's not a better example or a worse example than the slave trade and all the horrific things that happened with that, and, and that's what John Newton was. In 1748, he, he's in the middle of the ocean, sailing his slave ship, and a massive storm hits, and, and he's, found, he's found himself in it, and, and he nearly loses his life in that storm. And he was found, and he was rescued, and he was brought to shore. And he would point back at that event, that storm, sailing on that slave ship, as the thing where God started to open his spiritual eyes. 
And just a few years later, John Newton, he wasn't an atheist anymore. He had converted, uh, he became a believer in Jesus Christ. And he wasn't a slave ship captain anymore. Instead, he was an Anglican priest. And he was advocating for the end of the slave trade. And before he died, actually in 1807, uh, he was able to see the British passage of the Slave Trade Act in 1807. Pretty cool story of how, of how Jesus radically saved this man and brought him out of something so horrific and redeemed him, opened his eyes, opened his spiritual eyes. One of John Newton's um, biggest hobbies after he converted to Christianity uh, was he began to write songs. Um, one of his songs that he wrote goes like this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. He echoes the words of this guy. I don't know all the answers, but I was blind and now I see. So there's good news in this whole conversation about spiritual blindness and blind spots. And the good news is this, spiritual blindness can be healed through Jesus. He opens blind eyes. And I want you to see that like with, with healed physical eyes. So when Jesus does the whole mud thing and he goes to the pool, well, his, just his physical eyes have been opened at that point. The rest is a journey for him to have his spiritual eyes opened, right? And now this man spiritually sees Jesus. Look in your Bibles, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out. And when he found him, he asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus answered, you have seen him. Isn't that cool? For the first time, this man is seeing, and Jesus says, you're looking at him with the eyes that I healed. And then he says, basically, don't you recognize my voice? <laughs> the one who is speaking with you. And he says, I believe, Lord. And he worshiped him. So his physical eyes have been opened, and now Jesus opens his spiritual eyes. His greatest need was now met. His greatest need wasn't having his physical eyes open. His greatest need was having his spiritual eyes open to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And he believes. That's what we're told. It's the whole point of the book of John. I tell you every week, John 20, 31. John says, I'm writing these things so that you would believe. Like that you would believe that he is the Messiah and that by believing you would have life. And that's what this man does. Like his physical eyes are open and he physically sees Jesus and he confesses him as Lord, begins to worship him. This man, blind since birth. He didn't do anything to deserve the blindness, but he was blind. And he didn't do anything to deserve the sight, but Jesus makes him see. And that's the good news of the gospel message. The Bible says that every single one of us are born blind. Every single one of us, we're born blind and in the darkness of the world. No spiritual sight. We don't understand our great need for God until he reveals it to us, till he gives us sight. We don't deserve the healing, but Jesus offers it anyway. He died a death that you and I should have died for our sin. He went to a Roman cross and he laid down his life willingly so that you and I could have our spiritual eyes opened so that we could have life. 
John says. And so the invitation of the gospel is to confess your need for him, realize your blindness and ask him to heal you. And scripture says he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness and he will save you, he will. That's the good news that we proclaim every single day. Call out to Jesus and he will give you sight. And the cool thing is you don't have to have it all figured out (laughs) before you come to him. Like you don't get yourself cleaned up. You don't don't have to have it all figured out. In fact, we see that the man goes kind of on this journey of understanding who Jesus is, doesn't he? In verse 11, he's like, I don't know, this man called Jesus healed my eyes. Verse 17, he's like, I don't know, he's a prophet. Verse 33, he begins to recognize that Jesus is from God. And in verse 35 through 38, he finally sees Jesus as the Messiah and he worships him. It's the only proper response whenever you see Jesus for who he is. When your spiritual eyes are open, it's to bow before him and worship him. He says, I don't know. I don't know the answers to your questions. I just know I was blind and now I see. And I believe there's people in this room who need to make that same statement. There's spiritual blindness that maybe you, you, you're completely blind, like you've never trusted Jesus for your salvation and today you're seeing like he is Lord, he is King, he's, he's capable of healing and today I'm confessing him as Lord, making him the Lord of my life like these two young ones have done as well and I'm gonna follow him with my life, trusting him for my salvation. Some of you need to do that. But I think many of us in this room probably just need to go, God, there's some, there's some blind spots in my life and I need you to open those blind eyes. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.